sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. I don't care if you're, well, I do care, but whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, we all know that the Supreme Court is uh, poised to issue its blockbuster decision in the Dobbs case, Mississippi case involving potentially overturning Roe v. Wade the 1973 decision legalizing abortion. Well, the discussion we're going to have today is not about being pro-choice or pro-life. It's not about the morality of abortion. It's about the separation of church and state. And my guest today, Amira Al-Haddad, is the Director of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the southern part of the United States. And my old friend and colleague, Amira, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thanks. It's good to be back. You know, why is it, Amira, that restrictive abortion laws raise a concern about violating the separation of church and state, that they essentially become an establishment of religion? I think it has to do with the fact that everyone treats the issue of the unborn child or, you know, the fetus in a different way, according to the dictates of their religious beliefs. Within Judaism, there may be a different opinion of their religious beliefs. Definitely between Catholics and Protestants, there's a difference, although you wouldn't really know it to uh, see the Protestant evangelicals um, taking up the anti-abortion stands. But I think that if you look at the religious traditions of pregnant women, pregnancy, uh, when does life begin, how is that life of the unborn child uh, viewed in terms of that particular religion, how is the health of the mother viewed in terms of that particular religion, uh, you're going to run into a lot of different nuanced religious opinions that are not the same across the board throughout different religions. And I think that that has not been discussed with any of these bills that are coming up. And it will pose, it has posed, and it's going to continue to pose a religious issue in the courts if um, the trend is to uh, stop abortion for any and all reasons whatsoever. The most restrictive abortion laws really do reflect Roman Catholic theology about the allegedly immortal soul, which has never been a, well, it's not a biblical concept. It really came into Catholicism from the Greeks. But the the immortal soul allegedly enters the womb, they call it ensoulment, at the moment of conception. And therefore, uh, it's fully human at that point, and that that informs the opposition to uh, all forms of contraception and considering things like the morning after pill and an abortifacient, right? Uh, basically, uh, something that facilitates an abortion. Uh, but you know, this is a theological perspective, and so 
I know Muslim groups filed an amicus brief in the Supreme Court and said, look, this is about uh, the law favoring a religious dogma, a narrow sectarian dogma about when life begins. And many other religions have a different view, which is what the point that you were making. So in Judaism and Islam and in other religions, they take a much more permissive view and very different view of when life begins. So the question becomes, why does the court have the authority to make what is essentially a theological judgment? Because it's not a medical judgment, it's a theological, you know, the medical facts are what they are. Absolutely. And and even the uh, the motive for getting the bills passed that we've seen passed are religious motives, really. You, uh, you cannot divide uh, the religious belief from the motivation that is coming out of, we'll just use Texas as our prime example. Um, when I travel around and, and talk to people from different churches and uh, ask them, you know, what do you, what do you believe about abortion? Um, their belief, whether they're for or against, um, it always stems from their understanding of the Bible. And again, these are theological opinions that have vary uh, from person to person, from religion to religion. And even within my own church, I have people that want to show me both ways, uh, biblically, why they believe what they believe. So this is purely a religious issue that is now being litigated or um, codified, really, within the states. And it's it's worrisome if you are a proponent for religious liberty, if you're a proponent for the separation of church and state. It is worrisome to think that whole groups of people would rise up to um, impress their religious belief upon society in general, uh, whether you like it or not, whether you believe with it or not, whether it disagrees with your religious creed or not. And that should be the concern that all Americans should have. So I'm going to give the disclaimer again, because this is not a discussion about the morality or immorality of abortion under any particular set of circumstances. Um, it's not about whether you're pro-choice or pro-life or any of that. That's a debate that's been going on for a long time. And um, I think, Amira, you and I both uh, take a pretty conservative stance. Neither one of us are pro-abortion as such. And to be fair, uh, the colleagues that I have who are pro-choice are not pro-abortion. You know, I think that those two things are often mixed up. But, you know, it's become a separation of church and state has become a favorite punching bag of religious conservatives in recent decades. And yet, you know, Christians don't know our history because separation of church and state is a profoundly Protestant uh, concept. And it was promoted and created by Protestants to the extent that you know, you have any concept of any Christian influence in the founding of this country, that influence said, we're not going to have any favoritism for any religion whatsoever. We're going to create a culture where people of all faiths, Catholic, 
Protestant, Muslim, whatever, everybody has equal rights under the law. But the restrictive abortion rights don't give equal, restrictive abortion laws don't give equal rights to all religious beliefs because they favor one set of beliefs. And it makes me think of, you know, if that's what you want America to become, a country where a set of religious beliefs is favored, then you're asking us to model after countries like Iran or Saudi Arabia, where a particular set of religious beliefs is favored. The Christian Taliban, right? Okay, then. So what you want to have, a Christian Taliban? Don't sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is very worrisome. The thing that we have always acknowledged within our society, you know, I grew up in the South. We're all about manners and being polite in the South. And you pretty much grew up, when I grew up, knowing you weren't going to talk about two things when you first meet a stranger. You're not going to talk about politics or religion. See, I'm Jewish. I'll talk about politics and religion first. (laughs) (laughs) But you're not from the South. (laughs) Could you tell listening to me? I could tell listening to you you're from the South. (laughs) But now, you know, now social media has brought us to this level of discourse where we are very uncivil to each other and we have um, politicized religion. We have politicized religious freedom. We have politicized catchphrases that we use. And uh, it's not healthy for a society like ours. It brings about, um, besides just, you know, this, this level of incivility towards each other, it's dangerous to think that in a pluralistic society that we live in, there's only one way to do things. And But Amira, there is only one way. My way. My way is always right, right? You're right. My way is always right. So, you know, if if you are a conservative, uh, then you think that the Republicans are going to save the world. And uh, and if you're a liberal, you hope the Democrats are going to save the world. Yeah, but, if you are, then you think the, the Democrats are going to save the world. And the problem that both sides have with each other is that at the far extremes of these both, of both of these sides, there's an authoritative um, understanding that only their side is right. And there's no in between. There's no dialogue. And the thing about something like abortion, you and I spoke about this earlier. It is such a nuanced issue. You know, it's nuanced in terms of the medical field. It's nuanced in terms of differing religious beliefs and understandings. Um, it's just highly nuanced. And we have not as a society sat down to talk to each other about this um, in, in a civil way to discuss the nuances and where we can go. The, the Republicans are far out. They want to ban everything. The, uh, the liberals, the Democrats are also far out because they want to allow everything. Well, I don't think that either one of those solutions is the solution to this problem. And we're so far from the fence, which the fence is in the middle. Um, we're so far from the fence that we can't just sit there and talk to each other. We have to yell to be able to be heard. Well, and, you know, 
But Amir, you know, I'll hear liberals accuse conservatives of just wanting to ban abortion and not doing anything to help women. And I'm not sure that those accusations are entirely fair. Um, but I do think that they suggest where there is some common ground that beyond, you know, making political football out of it and, um, you know, beyond fighting over the degree of restrictions, can't we agree on providing more services for pregnant women, more services for single, more support for single women, more support for contraception? Because we can take steps to reduce unwanted pregnancies and to um, provide real, real options. You know, I think that too many who are pro-life think that that women are just casual about having abortions. And there may be those who fall into that category, but but I think those are the exception, not the rule. And I, I just think that there's a lot more that we can all do together to work to reduce the number of abortions. Absolutely. And that law is not the best solution to, to many problems. Well, this has been a good discussion. I'm sure it will continue. My guest today, Amira Al-Haddad, we've been talking about abortion restrictions as an establishment of religion. Thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring again, Amira. Thanks for having me. As we close, remember at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate, all one word, churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring on the web at religiousliberty.info. And be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Ronach. Until next week, let freedom ring.